What's up, people? I'm your host, Jay Will, and I would like to welcome you to Inspire God's People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. This is episode 202, Proving Your Blackness, a Christian Perspective. So we're going to get into some controversial topics today. You know, things that i kind of been sitting on, I've been sitting back observing what's happening in the world. And I'm going to tell you like this, you know what I'm saying? Just hear me out. <laughs> I know like we live in a world, man, that's so tough to have some of these conversations because everybody want to be so triggered. But just so you know, um, I guess I, I should send, I can talk. I can talk, people. I should send a trigger warning. We're going to talk about some really controversial things today. I'm going to try to do that from a, a Christian perspective um, with some integrity, some character. Not like we're not going to bash nobody or nothing, but I do want to like peel back some layers on some of the things that's been going on in the world, particularly for real in the last three years as uh, race has become interwoven with politics and uh, corporate and just America um, and, and wrapped up in some other agendas as well. And you know what I'm saying? As a black man, I feel like, you know, a black person, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, you know, I can talk about it, but I'm gonna tell you like this. If you're black, you might get mad. If you're white, you might get mad. Um, and I, I wanna... I really want to try to like really kick it on some topics in a way that maybe we don't use, usually kick it, especially uh, especially publicly or honestly, because most people who talk publicly have some type of agenda that they're behind. So they got to say certain things. And that's not how they talk for real at home or in a barbershop about a topic. So, um, look, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to try to tackle something that's really challenging um, in the best way possible, but definitely speaking from a Christian perspective, I think there's going to be some value here for black people, Christians, white people, Indian, Chinese, regardless of what your race is, we're going to be dealing with a lot of uh, principles. You know what I'm saying? This is a principle driven conversation, um, but we're going to really maybe get into some things that are a little uncomfortable and I'm not trying to be right. That's the whole thing about today. Like I'm really not trying to be right. I'm just trying to peel back the layers on um, on a, a conversation and a topic that has a whole bunch of nuance, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, like sit back, relax and enjoy the inspiration. We'll be right back with the show. Stop saying what you gonna do till you do what you said. When you opened that Bible, you knew what you read. You felt it deep in your soul. The promise did not expire. Be inspired. I can see beyond the tears you cry and the pain you I saw every hill you had to climb just to make it here. When you say you ain't afraid to die, is it fit to fear? Alright, y'all, what up, what up? This is episode 202, Proving Your Blackness, uh, a Christian perspective. Uh, what up, Sean Malloy, Sean the Case. I see y'all in the comments talking junk. Um, look, man, let's jump right into it. First things first, I want to start this conversation off um with more of my philosophy, right? I think we live in a world that is driven by agreeableness. So when you think of, when I sit back and observe, and you might feel different again, I'm not saying I'm right about all this stuff, but I really wanna kick it about this stuff because I think we have to talk about it to progress beyond it. And especially as believers, I think we've handed over a lot of these really important conversations to the world, where now I'm seeing Christians kind of have the worldly conversation or at least the worldly perspective, where it's like the world is leading the church. And that gets really weird to me um, when we're specifically talking about things of God and things that are in the Bible and principles that are in the Bible. So let's first deal with this. 
we live in a world that is so sensitive that it's created an environment of agreeableness. And the reason this is dangerous is because on the surface, it seems cool. You agree with me. I agree with you. We can rock together, right? So I'm this political party. You this political party. We can rock together. I'm this color. You this color. We can rock together, right? And with this agreeableness, this uh, like kind of tendency towards agreeableness has done it's created a society that doesn't value trustworthiness. All right, so hear me out. You know, for some people, just the fact that, like, the title of this episode, like, Proving Your Blackness, the moment that I say something that you disagree with, you will literally turn it off or get angry or, I, like, this is one of those shows, especially, like, YouTube, I start getting, I be getting weird comments, like, from people. Um, and that's cool. But my point is, the moment you hear something you don't like, you lose your cool. You lose your emotions. You can't even hear somebody out because you don't like what they said. You don't agree with them. The reason this is a problem is because what that says to the mainstream media, to people with particular agendas, is like, yo, as long as I say what they agree with, I can manipulate them because they don't value trustworthiness. Do you know how easy it is for me to say something agreeable. All I got to do is sit back, for instance, and watch the narrative in the world. And if there is a particular narrative going around, let's use Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump is an easy uh, topic to me. The narrative or the, or the, it seems like the consensus for what people could say publicly, um, you know, is that, you know, hey, you, you are against Trump, especially as a black person, right? So then it becomes easy for me to sit back and look at that and be like, oh, we bashing Trump. That's cool. OK. All right. Cool. I'll do that, too. The problem is I can do that to manipulate you, to bring in other things or to get you on my side. But you can't really trust me. You feel what I'm saying? Like I said back the last couple of years and watch people specifically curate messages so that people can like them. And here's my point. I would rather see your real hand. Like I would rather know that we disagree if I can trust you. So here's my example. Let's say you, uh, I don't wanna even use, let's say you vote uh, Democratic, I vote uh, Independent. Well, if, if I hear you out and I'm like, why is this person voting Democratic? And you know the reasons why, and you, you standing on some real strong reasons and, and I know where you coming from, like, all right, cool. We disagree, but we could be cool. I would rather that over a person that votes just like I vote simply because the world told them to vote that way. So as it relates to media, for instance, like we are just looking for a bunch of agreeable people and agreeable topics. And that's just not a realistic world, because on top of that, the moment we disagree with somebody, then we lose our mind and we're not hearing them out. And it's like, well, so are you telling me that the only people that should open their mouth and use their voice? are people who 100% agree with you. I don't even think that's possible, first of all. So that's the other thing that this is doing. It's creating this world where like, it's delusional for people to really think. Like you think your cousin, your best friend, the, the person next door, you think this person just because y'all like pump, wear the same flag, uh, pump the same uh, uh, agenda, whatever, you know, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, whatever, I don't care what side of the fence you want. If you think, that just because somebody wear the same T-shirt as you, like that y'all actually agree on everything, 
somebody lying, bro. I would rather uh, I would rather know that a person we agree on these three topics, we disagree on these two, and then you gonna challenge me, I'm gonna challenge you. That's what I prefer. So I'm saying that uh, you know for a reason. What up, Doug? What up, Jen? How you feeling? I'm saying that for a reason because I feel like what we've gotten caught into right now is that we're only listening to people we agree with, which means we're not getting the other sides of the story. Like, and we not really having intelligent conversations. We're not really having layered and nuanced conversations because the moment somebody opened their mouth and is not like uh, representing what your favorite politician says, then you putting them in a box or you like, now you are like identifying them and, and calling them something that they not. Now, now you calling them out of their name. Now they're a bigot because they don't agree with you. Like, bro, I like I like all flats when I order my chicken. I know some people like drumsticks. Imagine if just because you order drumsticks, I'm like, I'm done with you. I don't want to hear nothing you got to say because you like drumsticks and we like all flats. We the all flats gang over here. Like, it's you can make a group out of anything, bro. Like, you can make a gang out of anything. Like, we wear this color. You wear this color. Hey, we we this we on this side. You on that side. And I understand that as human beings, we're super tribal. And that's why we do this stuff. But we have to stop cutting people off simply because they disagree with us. If the person is trustworthy, I value that over agreeableness. Now, I'm not mean, being literal, like with everything. I know there is like, you know, there is a lot of nuance to even that statement where you go, oh, well, two can walk together. Let's they agree. Come on, let's not be out of context. I'm speaking in the context of how we emotionally carry ourselves throughout the world and we are how we interact with people and engage with people. It can't be simply based on just fully agreeing with you. All right, bet, bet, bet it up. I love it. All right, so let's get into it. The first thing I want to talk about is um, I want to talk about uh, Ja Morant. So if you've been following the NBA or not, <clears throat> again, you may agree or disagree with my perspective on this, but whether or not you've been following the NBA or not, John, John Morant is, I believe, a 23-year-old um, superstar uh, player for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's one of the uh, new up-and-coming players, uh, the face of the NBA, one of the new faces of the NBA. So a person that has the opportunity to be the next, uh, speaking as far, as far as face, not you know talent necessarily, but Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, like the next, you know, I, I don't even, I don't consider Giannis the face of the league, but he has that kind of potential where he just got his own shoe. He just got some endorsement deals. And then he found himself a couple months ago in a situation right around two months ago um, on Instagram Live, flashing a gun in a strip club. Now, this is a young black man um, playing a sport. You know, he's, um, you know, obviously a famous athlete. And this, this conversation got a lot of people up and down on different sides uh, really upset. So John Morant was suspended eight games, which was, was a little tricky. He said he went to some rehab. And let's fast forward to um, this week or last week. You know, he had went through all that stuff. And then just here two months later, he was on Instagram Live with one of his homeboys. And lo and behold, John Morant is on there flashing a gun. So this sent the sports world in particular and probably other worlds up in an uproar where everybody has their opinions. Um, a lot of black people, like people mad at him, like, bro, you trying to act like a thug and you ain't about that life. And I get it. I've listened to a lot of perspectives, but there's some interesting things and layers I want to peel back on this. 
they're they're telling him because he grew up middle class with both parents that you know you ain't about this life you shouldn't be doing this this and that and the other all right so i want to i want to talk about this because i think this is challenging number one i think is real interesting how we view black people with both parents now i get all the statistics i get the stereotypes and all that stuff but it's interesting for me to hear people say like, yo, you got both parents. You ain't grow up in the hood. You ain't about that life. But I, I want to defend John Moran a little bit, at least in thought, at least philosophically. All right. I think John Morant might have been proving his blackness. Like whether like like I legitimately think part of what John Morant might be doing and this is might, right? I don't, I don't know him. Obviously, I'm giving a perspective based on observation, and I feel like he might be trying to prove his blackness. Now, you might be looking like that don't make sense. Why would he be trying to prove his blackness? Well, I want to talk about some things in the black community and in the world at large that I think both blacks and whites and others can learn from this conversation, or at least maybe spark a thought, or maybe you disagree and that's cool. But hear me out. When you grow up, you know, in America as a black person in the last, you know, however many years, let's just say between the 60s and now, you know, most of us, I don't know, I don't have the numbers, right? I'm from Detroit. I grew up in Detroit. And I could just tell you that, you know, the city is was 88% black. And so most black people, if you in Detroit, you was 88% of the time it was a black person. And when you grow up in the hood, you know what I'm saying? which also gets a lot of stereotypical um, negativity around it that is perpetrated by black media artists and all this stuff. Like we paint a lot of these pictures is perpetrated then um, others, white America, everybody else buys into it as well. But my whole thing with John Morant is like, all right, when you grow up outside of the hood, because most black people grow up in the hood, the reality of it is I've talked to people that feel pressure because they don't feel as black as everybody else, because the reality of it is the hood culture is pushed on black people by everybody, by black people, by non-black people. Like everybody pushes the hood on black people to a point where the hood is literally so much of our identity that even when you make it out, you can't make it out. Hear me out. Even when you make it out the hood, you can't ever really make it out. Why is that? The music, I look at these artists, right? And I have a feeling it's just an inkling. This is literally just me being a, a marketing and business person looking at the landscape of the world. I think it's going to be a lot more. I think hip hop is going to take much more inspirational um, route over the next uh, couple years. That's kind of the next wave that I personally see potentially happening in music is a lot of like inspiration, taking Christian and godly principles. But Wrapping them, up, wrapping them up in the ways of the world. And they have to do that mostly for political reasons. Um, but I think that's going to happen. But when you look at music for what it is today, um, the music perpetrates a lifestyle that these young players and young people like John Morant, when you get in the NBA, which is very hip hop driven, it's a hip hop culture in the NBA. You start wanting to be what you see. Because all the songs is talking about what they do, what they did to get there and what you ain't if you not them. And so when you grow up in a community or a culture of people that constantly elevates 
a certain lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle of being hood, gangster, thug, who you would kill, what you would do. Like if that lifestyle is elevated, people will covet that lifestyle. So when you have a young person like a John Morant who has both parents, even when you think about the way we talk about why he shouldn't be carrying a gun or flashing a gun, like it shows you deep down in the layers how it's almost like a softness associated with that or you ain't really black. You ain't from where we from. So you talking, y'all go on these commercials and all this stuff and talk all this black stuff and all this like, and that is just, you, you talk about it simply based on skin color. But then once we really start peeling back the layers, what you really talking about is culture. You really telling black people, if you ain't from the hood, you ain't black. And if you don't act like you from the hood, you ain't black. So that's why I believe we see a lot of these rich kids now who are taking on the cultural appearance of the hood, right? And we are calling that black culture. That's not black. That's not a skin color. That's culture. That's like based on where you at in society. You feel what I'm saying? And so all this stuff, what it does is perpetuates a lot of stereotypes, but I'm trying to put y'all at least a little bit in the mind of a young black man that is growing up with both parents and now being looked at, at by his peers as soft. And the reason I'm calling them his peers is because when you grow up playing basketball, black bas basketball, <laughs> if I was white, that'd be horrible. That'd be a clip. Blasketball. When you grow up playing blackskitball, <laughs> that's horrible. But when you grow up playing basketball, basketball is one of those sports that, you know, you got to go to the hood. Like I heard um, Jay Williams talk about this. Jay Williams from ESPN who played for Duke and was drafted by the Chicago Bulls. He grew up in middle class America. His father was an executive at, um, I think, American Express or something like that. So Jay Williams is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, of like, you know, people will even now like be like, oh, he ain't black enough. And what you're really saying is culturally he ain't hood enough. But when you do that, you put pressure on people who are not from the hood to continue to live out these stereotypes. And part of the reason why is because we never actually teach people how to be successful, how to move in the world. And even the people who learn it, and they are not being honest because there's monetary value in perpetuating the hood lifestyle. What do I mean? You take these major artists, I'm not even going to call nobody out specifically. You take a major rap artist today, major hip hop artist, pick anybody that's rapping about guns and killing people and rapping about being so hood and so gangster, but also lives in a you know 10,000 square foot mansion um, in, in, you know, the most wealthy parts of America, um, with neighbors that are probably, uh, hundred millionaires, billionaires, neighbors that are executives and leaders at corporations and things like that. So meaning their kids go to private schools with these, ki uh, people's kids and their children are living a completely different lifestyle. They're living a completely different lifestyle than they portray. But they're perpetuating this lifestyle because the record companies um, and, the, you know, some of the corporations are, um, you know, paying a high fee for making trendy music that hood kids can relate to. And then the hood kids go out and they live out your music while your kids grow up in a protected bubble 
in the best parts of society and affluent neighborhoods. They're growing up in diverse neighborhoods. Their friends are of other cultures and races. These black kids are taking all type of other cultures to prom. Most of the time, I'm just being real. Again, we're going to talk about some uncomfortable things, but not from like, I'm not trying to trigger you like this is like we but we got to be honest. You feel what I'm saying? So hopefully y'all can understand the reason I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm 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 trying to to take control of these things from a Christian perspective, but some of it is uncomfortable. And so I got to be real with you. When I watch these um wealthy black people, when I see their kids go to prom, I very rarely see like as an example the black young men take a black girl to prom. Like all the time. So I'm like, "Wow, this is interesting. These people who are perpetuating this hood culture like in, in presenting it as as their reality when it's not their reality, they are just paid to do it. I blame them. Also blame the corporations and executives who pay them to do it and perpetuate those lifestyles. So this is not just blaming black people or whatever, but I'm trying to uncover some layers about how we all have accountability in these cycles that are happening. And you have these rappers and hip hop artists that are perpetuating this lifestyle. And I'm looking at their kids on their Instagram page and they going to proms and in luxury cars and designer clothing. And they going to proms with all type of cultures. But I'm like, wait a minute, y'all pressuring the regular everyday folk down here like us. Like we got to be separated and we got to be mad at each other. And your girl, uh, your, your son is taking a white girl to prom, which is perfectly fine to me. You feel what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm saying it's a problem to perpetuate it as a problem so that normal people in society are buying the mess and living out the mess while you're in the Hollywood Hills, living the luxury lifestyle with all types of cultures. You're doing business deals with all types of cultures. Meanwhile, young black people like Ja Morant are trying to prove their blackness. Do you feel what I'm saying, people? I am on YouTube right now, Jen. Um, all right, so that's the Ja Morant thing. That's at least some of it. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because we have to get to a point where it's okay to be black, to be middle class, to be upper class, to be successful without perpetuating even if you didn't come from the hood. Oh, I got to say this. I got to I got to sip my my water first. Sip my water. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. Don't worry. We all have accountability. White, black, everything. All right, so one of the one of the more interesting things to me is what are we going to do over the next, you know, 20 years when a lot more black people start not being from the hood? We don't know what to do with this. What am I saying? So take Clay Thompson, take um, Stephen Curry, uh, Austin Rivers. You look in the NBA right now, right? In the NBA today, there are a lot of sons of NBA players. In high school basketball and college basketball today, there are a lot more sons of NBA players. This is a good thing to me. What does this mean? Why am I pointing this out? Um, back in the 90s, most players that made it to the NBA were first-generation NBA players making it out of rough neighborhoods for the first time, and this is how they was going to make their mama rich and buy their mama a house and take care of their family. And that is the story of so many of us, you know, who come from the hood, right? And so that's that's a cool story. I come from the hood. You know, I'm definitely, I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm not NBA rich for sure, for sure. I ain't nowhere near it. 
but you know, I, I might've made it out. You get what I'm saying? I might've made it somewhere in life. And as you start going to maybe different levels in life, it, it, it becomes uncomfortable because nobody has ever taught you how to live outside of the bubble. So imagine growing up your whole life in this bubble where things work a certain way and you have to survive in this bubble. You got to carry yourself a certain way. You got to act a certain way. You got to be willing maybe to do certain things, carry a certain aggression. And then you make it outside of that bubble and you have to adapt. And that's not really that comfortable for us. We don't know how to feel about people. So what am I saying? There are so many people because so many people made it to the NBA, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, they went and had kids and they kids grew up rich. So uh, I think his name is Cole Anthony, played for the Magic. His dad was in the NBA. Again, you have Bronny that is in, uh, in college now. Dennis Rodman's son goes to USC with Bronny. You have so many of these kids now, Clay Thompson, Steph, I mentioned, that they grew up, they didn't, they not from the hood. So, so I, I, like, we got we to gotta think about this. Like, like, they not from the hood, bro. Steph Curry ain't from the hood. He grew up rich. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell y'all. So what I'm, why am I pointing this out? Pretty soon, we're going to have to start more and more dealing with, like, yo, how, like, how, how, how do we teach people that it's okay, Black and non-Black? Like, we not all the same, and it's okay if you're not from the hood, because how can you, how can I make you prove something that you are? Philosophically, what I'm challenging right now, peeling back the layer, is the idea that being black is equivalent to being hood. Now, I know some people, again, they like perpetuating this. They love pushing this because, you know, how, whatever they can gain from it, whether it's some type of clout from being tough or some type of monetary value or whatever. But the reality of it is we do society a lot of harm when we keep pushing the idea that being black is equivalent to being hood. Why do I say this? I'm going to prove my point. I see a lot of um, famous pro-black people do this, what I'm about to say right now. A lot of famous pro-black people, if a, if a black person says something they disagree with, they openly say, yo, that person ain't black. Like, let's sell, uh, you know, what they say, let's trade this person and we'll take this person. And so what you're saying is black isn't about your skin color. It's not about your DNA. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about the fact that you came from the same place as me or you had the same struggle as me. These people are pushing the idea that being black is about being agreeable to a certain position, whether it be political, whether it be social, no matter what it is, is that we're selling ourselves and our identity as part of some type of political agenda for the world. Bro, let me tell you something. I'm from Detroit on the east side. Our cars got stolen. Guns got pulled out on me. Fights happened. Like, I was chased by pit bulls. Like, listen, bro, I hooped in the projects. Like, you I, you can't, if I, don't, if I don't vote like you vote, bro, you can't take that from me. So this idea that who you are is attached to, like, how, like, like your ideology. Like, no, nah, bro, even if, like, let me tell you this, for a white person, and I'm, I'm going to say this, man, this is something I've said before, you know, like sometimes I envy white people for this particular reason is that white people get to be whatever they want. 
in America, specifically talking about America for my, you know, interna international audio listeners, you know, this might be a different conversation. I know that culturally in different places, this looks different. But sometimes I envy the white people in America because they get to be whatever they want. What do I mean by that? You know, there's white people in the KKK, obviously. We don't see every white person wearing a white hoodie and think, oh my God, he's in the KKK. If a, if a white dude is at the gym and walk up behind me and he has a bald head, I don't think, oh my God, he's a skinhead, right? White people get to be rich. They get to be poor. They get to be middle class. They get to be white collar, blue collar. They get to, you know, live in mansions or trailer parks. They get to, you know, do all of these things and they still white. Still white. Black people, like what the, the ideology that I'm trying to um, peel back right now is this idea that we can only be one thing. And that, and not only can we only be one thing, we have to prove it to each other. Like, no, nah, bro, I don't have to prove, like, I don't have to think like you. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And, it, and it's a very, it's a very um, unfortunate thing that happens. And I'm not talking just to black people. I'm talking to white people too, because there are white people that want to put you in a bubble based on the stereotypes that they have seen and heard. And I love y'all and y'all know that. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to be real about the fact that like, yo, you might've had a bad experience with a black person. You can't treat every black person you deal with like they are whatever your past experience is. The same way I can't treat every white person based have some limited perspective because one white dude stole my car or did something and now I'm just scared of all white people. That doesn't, it doesn't make sense, y'all. And so, like, again, I know this is an uncomfortable conversation. I'm not trying to be right. I know there's a bunch of things that I'm probably missing as I had this conversation, things that I might listen back and be like, I should have said this or I should have said that. But but what I'm what I'm trying to talk about is the fact of like this idea of proving black that blackness. I can talk. I can't talk, people. I'm gonna tell you one of the one of the things that I'm that the reasons this is important. Um I feel like in a black community, in order to change some of these stereotypes, we have to be willing to elevate people who are not portraying a hood lifestyle or mentality at all. For example, Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson is one of the most successful and smartest black people in the world. Now, granted, he does have a school downtown Detroit named after him, but I very rarely hear him celebrated. And especially when he was on the Republican side of politics, um, you know, I saw people trashing him. I saw black people calling his wife ugly. I saw this on the internet, bro. I saw it. And I'm looking and I'm like, bro, do you know who this is? Like we talk about celebrating and highlighting somebody who has done amazing things and created opportunities for other black people. And it's like the moment that somebody goes outside of the bubble, he from Southwest Detroit, bro. He from the hood. He was a troubled young man and his mom pushed him um, and made him read books and things like that. There's actually a movie about his life that I watched. But like, we don't even celebrate him. He don't matter why, because he not dancing. Because like, not, not his wife ugly, bro. She looked just like your auntie. Like, what are you talking about? If we if we uh, perpetuate the stereotype that any black woman that looks like this is ugly, like, what are you saying? So we want other cultures to look at a, a, a black woman that just because she not half naked or in music videos or she's not, you know, your idea of cute, we want people calling them ugly. That's wild to me. That's so wild to me, fam. 
Not our culture in totality. Facts. MJ Bell. Here, here's the sad thing about it. Um, I think what has happened is um, a lot of the celebrity black folks have allowed, you know, money to come in and, and, and sell each other out. This happened, you know, at various times in history where people were were definitely, you know, bought out and, and you know, given opportunities to keep perpetuating a certain uh, mindset and agenda. And the reason that I'm talking about this is because on all sides, I want us thinking about it. And in order for us to progress beyond it, there has to be some conversation. I might not be right about everything I'm saying today, but that shouldn't cause you just because you don't agree with me to shut me out. Maybe we should have a conversation. Maybe there's more for me to learn or think about. Um, maybe there's more for you to learn or think about. But this idea that like, oh, you don't agree with me. You ain't black. And I'm going to get on um, Instagram publicly and like degrade some person. You ain't black because of this and that. I don't buy it. Also, don't buy the idea that we can't be cool with other people. I don't buy the idea that, you know, all white people are bad or something. Look, I'm going to go into the next part of this conversation. That, that is probably the more difficult part of this conversation. So if you if you think I've said anything difficult so far, then, um, you know, more to come. Let me sit my water. Hear me out. Got to take some water breaks for this conversation, fam. It's super wild, Doug. I want to talk a little bit about the impact of slavery on Black people and white people in America. I think, the, I think that we minimize the impact of things that happen to us in life. I've said this about um, the pandemic personally. The last three years, two and a half years, however long that, that stuff really was, was thick and, and lasting, um, it, it was rough. And I don't think people often take time to sit down and say, how did this affect me? I've done that personally. So I've sat down, me and my wife have talked and I've been like, all right, this is how I think it affected me. These are the things that I think I'm battling out of or the bad habits that, um, that I picked up or, you know, y'all hear me always talk about the fact that like friends don't meet up anymore. Like, you know, people don't interact with people as much as they used to. And, the, these are some of the some of the the things that that came about from the pandemic. Kids are not interacting, right? So maybe you like, no, I, I get with people, da da da. But your kids, they grew up in a different environment, and so we we won't really know the effects of the pandemic for years from now. So I want you to think about slavery real quick. Again, this ain't like one thing I want to say is I don't believe in a victim mentality. It's not my way. It's not my belief. Nothing that I'm talking about today on any end, like this ain't about none of us feeling sorry for each other. So if you white, you don't got to, it ain't, you don't got to feel sorry. Oh my God, feel sorry for me. You black, you don't got to feel sorry. This is about us progressing in a way that we have conversations, especially as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, which I believe we are, no matter what color you are, if you believe in Jesus Christ and have accepted him as, as your Lord and savior. You are my brother or sister in Christ, black, white, Chinese, and otherwise. So this idea that, we're allowing just even uh, our our ethnicity to define so many so much of us and become limited by it is also alarming but i think some of it too is because we're allowing the world to lead the conversation the world is having the difficult conversations and so they're manipulating it and and guiding and influencing people to think a certain way so i'm having conversations like these again not to be right not to say 
oh, I know everything I'm talking about. I'm giving a certain perspective, focusing a lot on the black side of the perspective because I'm black. Like at the end of the day, that has been my life experience. So I'm talking what I know and what I have lived, what I live every day. Right. So so here's the here's the other side of it. Civil discourse. I, I could not agree more. I couldn't agree more, MJ. All right. So I want to talk about a little bit the impact of slavery. So so just just follow me. Hear me out on this. You know what I'm saying? Don't tune me out. If you take something for 400 years, let's just say we started today. And I said, I'm taking everybody that's over six feet tall. If you're over six feet, we're going to put you. We're going to take you down to a field in Georgia. We're going to chain you up. And for the next 400 years, everybody that's six feet, you know, you're going to be enslaved. And then at 400 years later, they became free. And then I started creating laws against people that six feet. Here's what I want you to understand. The impact, I believe, of slavery. It did a number on black people. We know that. I believe that. I believe that we still see some of the residue of slavery today because there is no way you can do that for 400 years and just expect in 100 years that it's going to be OK. Like, I don't believe that at all. I believe that the residue of it, because 100 years, hear me out. It's not it's not that many generations. My grandmother is 86. Like we are not that far removed from slavery as we think we are, which means we're not that far removed from the ideology or some of the things that people held on to. Did a number on black people. It also did a number on white people. So did a lot of the things that was going on in the 60s. These things, let's just first just sit back and say to ourselves that these things did a number on us. There have been times in my life personally that I've had to sit back and change some of my philosophies or things that I believe or do in my life because I had to actually realize, like, where did this come from? Why do I feel inferior? Why, like, why am I feeling? Oh, I get it. Right. There, there's um, I, I'll give you all the easy one. Look no further than how most black people historically have disciplined their children versus white people. Boy, black, look, I'm going to tell you all right now, you know, I know that, you know, I know they're, oh, my God, you know, people go to jail right now. Look, my grandma had us picking switches off of a tree to get whooped. I have been whooped with a switch plenty of times. Now, let me say this. That sounds, I'm going to say it sounds worse than it is. Not that it ain't bad. But for me, when I look at it, if you have these people that are older and their parents may have been the first generation or second generation born free, right? How were, how, what was the way for 400 years a black person was disciplined if they did something wrong? They were whipped. That, that's what was ingrained in somebody's life for 400 years. You do something wrong, you get a whipping. Well, you make you set those people free. The only discipline they know is to whip, like in. Oh, go get go get a tree. So so it sounds crazier and crazier the further we get away from it. But I want you to understand something. That is a lot of people's reality. I know for me growing up, I'm just I'm just keeping it 100 percent with y'all. Like, bro, I was looking at white people getting put in time out. I'm like, whoa, what are they doing, buddy? And, and no disrespect, y'all, no disrespect. But I'm just telling you culturally where I came from and how I grew up getting whooped. I was looking at y'all like. Oh, he not about to listen to her. <laughs> let, me, 
Listen, if I would have got in a time, oh, bro, that would have been the life. I was getting whipped. Whipped. You feel me? And so what am I saying? The older I got. Now, at first I used to say like, yeah, you know, you got to whip them like da, da, da. The older I got, I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on, bro. Like, I'm not telling you how to discipline your kids, by the way. But I am telling you how I thought, how I think through. And I also don't have children. So I haven't had to be, I haven't had to deal with this personally. I do have nieces and nephews though. And one of the things I realized as I got older and, and really started looking at, you know, I'm not a history buff, but I've looked at some history and understood some things about slavery. I've read some books, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, their autobiographies. And I'm like, yo, I believe whooping your kids and feeling like that's a rite of passage is a residue of slavery. I believe that my grandma, because her mama did that to her, my grandma, 86, again, think about that. Like if somebody born in what, the, the 1940s, then that means her parents might've been born in the 1920s and their parents might've been born right towards the end of slavery or the first people free. So that's three, four generations. You only three, three to five generations away from slavery. And so depending on how old your family is. And so my point is they just passed down what they knew. Right. So wh why does this matter? Why am I saying this? I'm, I'm going to tell you why. So I look at how we're talking about proving your blackness. Right. But we got to peel back these layers to understand it. Uh, one of the things for me, let's fast forward a little bit and I'll go back. Um, now I've been working in corporate America for 16 and a half years. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been able to build and grow a career from entry level up to the senior manager, senior sales manager position. I've had, you know, multiple national jobs now and been able to work with all different type of people. I've worked on some headquarter initiatives for Fortune 50 organization. And like I've been able to have some exposure by the grace of God to a lot of things. And I'm always taking notes. So other people may just be there. It may just be work for them. But it's such a even to this day, every most things I experience, I'm experiencing for the first time. My parents never experienced. My grandparents never experienced. So for me, like when it comes to something like career, I've had to change so many things about myself. And it's so uncomfortable, y'all. I had to realize I was being inferior. Why, why was I being inferior, right? And again, keep in mind, this is not a victim mentality. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I change. When I, when I recognize things in myself and feel convicted, I change. And I am smart and brilliant and able to grow. I've been able to grow my career. God has gifted me. So like, even if circumstances have been up against me, I can overcome them. So I don't want you to think the fact that I am about to outline certain circumstances that I mean these to be excuses for anybody who's currently in that situation at all on any level. So at the end of the day, we can overcome. Like I've overcome, many have overcome far beyond me, like and done way more things than I've done. So this is not victim mentality. This is being honest. Hear me out. So for me in corporate America, it was like, all right, I found myself when I first came in, kind of not really. I ain't, I didn't know how it went. I didn't have no mentors. I didn't like again, I'm kind of rough around the edges. You know, my first day on the job, I was I was trying to fist fight somebody. I'm just keeping it a hundred with y'all. Um, my man had cussed at me. And like for me, I was just, you know, not too far removed from seven mile at the time. Like you called me out my name. We got so we like I'm at work like these. Like I squared up with him. Like, let's go. My man was like completely dumb. <laughs> White dude. We cool now. Nah, God bless his soul. 
he was like, bro, what's going on? But again, it's like, bro, you don't talk to me like that. Like, we about to fight. So I was rough around the edges. My point with all of this is because I've been able to grow my career, I've taken the things that I've learned, I bring them to this podcast, and I challenge the people around me. So there are times that I'm dealing with young Black people, and I'm seeing inferiority in them. I'm seeing fear in them. They want to settle. When you come from our community, and this isn't because you're Black, this is because of the way you were raised or the culture you come from. And I'm specifically saying that because I don't like all these stereotypes. They're like, just because someone is a certain skin color, they're not as smart or they would, no, nah, bro, I don't got nothing to do with that. It's the fact that you were raised under a certain ideology that I believe is residue of slavery. So you got to break out of that so you can tap into your true potential and show who you really are. So when I'm challenging black people, sometimes that's from the hood and sometimes going through that phase I went through where they don't, they haven't seen you know, higher than their, they haven't seen their ceiling. So they, they believe that the floor is the ceiling and they comfortable. One of the things I realized is like, okay, there's inferiority, there's passiveness, there's fear. Well, a lot of us were raised to be well-behaved. Hear me out. I'm not saying that it's bad to be well-behaved. Do you feel me? I'm not saying it's bad to be well-behaved. But what I'm saying is, if we come from slavery where everything is, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, serve. Like, And again, I know serve can be a positive word, servant leader, a servant of God. Hear the context of what I'm saying. We come from this, this, like, this ideology of, of being less than and serving. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I's dead, master. I, and, and I believe that even once... Black people were freed and you just happy for freedom. You just, I'm just happy just to be free, master. Or you ain't my master no more. I'm free. And I'm not making fun of slaves. I'm just trying to act it out for y'all. What's my point? Well, if we were raised to be well, well behaved, you have to be careful because there's a thin line between well behaved and inferior. I watched some of my white friends, even to this day, raise their children. Now, again, some of this stuff is culturally is kind of wild and crazy to see and, and figure out how you feel about it. But they let their kids say way more stuff. They kids be I, I seen white kids around me that look like I'm like my man five and he my man like he looking like he owned the world in his mind. He run a place. And, and in some funny ways, I've even dealt with certain people, even in, in, in corporate America, like where there's a hierarchy. There are times that I see less level uh uh white people seem way more comfortable acting like they the manager than than a black person at that level that may be more respective or more fearful of the hierarchy and i believe i literally believe that's a residue of slavery of the aspect of like when you have one side being raised to think that the world is theirs and they and they going out and acting like it and one side being raised to believe that they're less than and you have all these problems and the world is against you and whatever. And then that is weakening us. All right. My point with this is I don't believe we've graduated to the point where we're telling the black success stories because the success stories don't fit in well with the agenda to continue to perpetuate only the bad side of growing up black in America or all this stuff. I'm not saying it's not challenges. I just don't buy into all of it. Also don't buy into the fact that 
you know, just because I'm black, my life is worse or your life is better just because you're white or whatever. I don't buy into all that stuff. But I understand there's nuance on every side. Now, I want to say this. I listened to a podcast the other day um, by um, Jordan Peterson, somebody that I highly respect. I, I like his book, 12 Rules for Life. Um, I think he's really smart. Um, a white guy, white Canadian. And there was a white woman. I don't remember her name. And they were on this podcast. And they were talking about um, some of these issues with black people. Now I'm giving the other side of the coin. You feel me? And this is where, look, just hear me out. You're not going to agree with everything I say. That's cool. We should be cool to, to agree to disagree all that. You don't got to hate me. I'm not trying to make you hate me. I'm not bashing nobody. But I'm trying to be honest. I don't, I don't easily fit into puzzles. You get what I'm saying? I don't easily fit into little boxes that people want to put you in boxes in. Like, you, you're not going to agree with everything I think. I'm a unique person. My... My brain is unique. My thoughts are unique. God created me the same way he created you. And so at the end of the day, fearfully, wonderfully made, like we're not created just to think every thought the same way or then the world would be dull. But I was listening to Jordan Peterson. Jen, uh, you are. Jen <laughs> is so wild. Love you too, Jen. I love all my listeners. All right. So I was listening to Jordan Peterson and they were talking about black people and I disagree with a lot of that was said. And I like Jordan Peterson. Again, we should be able to disagree with people and still be okay. It wasn't that I disagree with everything he said, but they were talking about some things like fatherlessness in the black community and how black people need to deal with that as it relates to crime and jail and all these things that have some truth to it. But here's something I want to challenge um, specifically the Republican side of politics on. Because I think Republicans miss a, a huge opportunity that, to me, Democrats kind of um, manipulate and milk this opportunity to kind of speak to the black community and speak to the emotion of it and, and kind of really get people's votes um, that way. And I think the Republicans sometimes um, want to deal with facts and logic, which can be cool, but sometimes do that absence of empathy. Um, and so as an example, um, I've, I've heard certain people talk about the pandemic and I don't want to get into all that, but I've heard them break break it down and talk about the effects of it and the, all the ins and outs and, and everything they have wrong with it. And those same people, when they when they talk about black people, they don't talk about slavery or the 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 bad laws that created some of the problem. Now, I think it's a little challenging to say. Hey, yo, you in America now, just go out here, get this job. We all got problems, whatever. But but let's be real about something. And I know a lot of other races have slavery in other parts of the world. But but I want you to think about something. Um, I've heard immigrants who fled their country to come here for, you know, a chance at America, the American dream. But imagine if the best country in the world, which I believe America is, I still believe it's the best opportunity. I really do. But imagine if the best opportunity in the world is where your people were oppressed. It's it's where the ideology that you are less than was it, it happened. And so. There are aspects that created this fatherlessness. There are aspects that created some of the ways that um, some of the violence and things. So so my thing is simply this. We have to deal with both sides of the coin. We, we cannot only blame, like, I'm going to blame you for, 
you know, hey, why are y'all got so much crime here? Why y'all got this? It's like, well, hold on, bro. Um, you know, my grandma, maybe she couldn't go to college born born in the 1940s. I don't don't get me caught up in the timeline and stuff. But but you know, you had a a lot of forced segregation. So even the idea of like AME black churches and a lot of this segregation was created, you know, by discrimination. <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't by choice at first. Black people, even after being free from slavery, we have to deal with this as believers. We're not allowed to go to white churches for the most part. So so black people had to create bubbles of black people. Right. And do things this way. And so I think as a society, we all it's not that you have to take blame because your great great grandfather was racist or did something or, you know, or you owe me something. I don't walk around like people owe me anything. I just walk around like, yo, let's be fair about maybe why some of these things exist. You feel what I'm saying? Uh, MJ Bell says it always baffles me when rich, prominent black people talk about they are oppressed or white liberals. Tell yeah, it's the wildest thing. MJ Listen, thank you. It is wild. I could not agree more. I'm like, bro, you rich. OK, so this is what I meant when I said we have to start telling the black success story because black people, what we're doing is we're getting successful and we keep retelling the same story. It kind of reminds me about movies these days. You know how they don't they don't really come out with a lot of new movies. They just keep remaking old movies. I'm like, we don't got no new ideas, bro. Like, come out with the like, what's the new thing? Show me the new thing. Show me the the movie about the black guy that's an executive that never sold dope, that didn't make it out of the hood. These are the stories of the future because again, Steph Curry ain't from the hood. Clay Thompson ain't from the hood. Uh, a lot of these NBA guys are no longer from the hood because their daddies were in the NBA. A lot of them, their mamas is white. Their families is white. Dudes is mixed. Like, you got to live with this. Like, we don't have to perpetuate. But this is what happens when you allow the world to keep that narrative going. And where I want to challenge um, all sides of it, um, my white brothers and sisters as well, is you have to be careful how you fight this stuff. Because I'm seeing, th this is what I'm seeing, y'all. Again, the same thing on opposite sides. I'm seeing some white people be so angry. Let's let's deal with diversity and, and equity and inclusion for a second, right? Just, we're going to touch on it from the black perspective. I've heard this personally, personally. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about personally. I'm not talking about what the rest of the world is talking about. I've, I've personally heard some white people complain about like, you know, he got that job because he was black or they're trying to fill this diversity number. Now, again, this is a very nuanced thing. It reminds me of like gentrification. These are not easy conversations and everybody tries to talk about them in this black or white fashion. But I'm like, this isn't black and white. I agree with certain aspects. I disagree with some aspects and I don't even know how I feel about others. But we've pushed each other so much to pick a side politically or based on some other agenda or group that people can't even be honest about the unsurety of their feelings or emotions, right? And so that's that's kind of what we've done and what we have created in, in, in society with, with, with pushing people uh, throughout these things. But when I, when I think about diversity, right? So, so I heard white people complaining and I was just like, wow, that's interesting. Thought it was really interesting. Why? Because there was also a very long period of time you know, and still exists where people were passed on jobs specifically because they were black. 
So, so this to me is a this is a conundrum. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because the the question is, how do we fix this stuff? That's really a lot of what we're talking about. And the answer is not the solutions, all the solutions that have been presented today, because a lot of those solutions are presented based on um, people wanting to um, avenge themselves, right? Um, and get revenge. But, but God, you know, we should let him avenge. The battle is the Lord's. And you can never make something right. Like, there's no way to make slavery right. Y'all realize that. There's no way from a human perspective, that's why people argue about reparations and different things. There's no way to actually, like, go back in history and make it right in the past. But we just have to figure out what's the best way to progress and move forward. And that shouldn't be creating more separation and um, division and segregation. But this diversity conversation is interesting because, all right, on one hand, you, you have people that are like, all right, as an example, they may say, hey, we need, you know, 10% um, of black executives or 10% of black people managers at this at company A, B or C. Right. And some people start getting mad, like, well, what do you do if you're not black? Or, but, and let's say this first. First things first. Black people don't have it that great because we are now lumped in with every other diversity group. So it's not like it's just our party, first of all. It's women, it's gender, it's LG, it's it's all kind of things. So it ain't even just the black party anyway. So it's like, we ain't even really getting our own situation to start off with. So I think first and foremost, it's fair to say like, you got to chill on that. The other aspect of it is, well, how do we at least be honest about the fact that there's a discrepancy because even if you say, no, I don't believe people were passed on because they're black. All right, I'm going to give you that. I got another angle. Remember, I've been in corporate America 16 and a half years, and I have had a lot of visibility to a lot of things. One of the things I can tell you is that it ain't what you know, it's who you know. I know you know that already. It's your network. And so even, even still today, it's all about your network. Most people, believe it or not, have not gotten into high jobs based on their performance or skill set alone. There's a bunch of skilled people who are stuck at lower levels because they don't have a network, meaning they don't have mentors. They don't have sponsors and supporters and people who are willing to put the stamp of approval on their name so they can move forward. So just by default alone, if you have a good old boys club and let's say that good old boys club is, you know, all white men. Let's just use that. No offense to the white men that's watching this. I don't want you to be offended. Um, we know that has happened in certain things, but don't feel bad, my brother. But if you have that, quite naturally, if you want to just eliminate the idea of racism or holding somebody back because they're Black, you've created a system where you will keep promoting the people within your network. That is potentially quite normal. I'm not even blaming you for that aspect. But the problem it creates is that over time, only people like you were being promoted and it created a discrepancy where these other people by default, potentially, if, it, if it's not because of their skin color, were just blocked out from opportunities just simply because they weren't like you in, in your group. And you might be like, well, what's the big deal with that? Here's the problem. These opportunities are life changing. 
you know, when I grow in corporate America and when I've gotten certain promotions or different things, that means I am able to go to another tax bracket. That means I am able to invest or start now thinking beyond just my salary as a source of income, because now if my salary is more than enough and I'm not now I'm out of the cycle of survival mode. Right. And so then if that gives me that opportunity, then I make certain decisions and and investments or things. Then now my family or my children or generations may be changed off of these things. So we cannot downplay the impact of job opportunities. And I'm specifically talking higher up job. I'm not talking about your everyday job. Nothing wrong with an everyday job. If you have that, this is a faith and business show. I want to stretch you to think beyond just your normal nine to five. We're talking about um, high level management, executive opportunities, life changing opportunities that I can only speak for my family. No one in my family had ever had life changing salaries, life changing opportunities before. And so when I had to fight to get those things and grow and develop to get those type of things, then what happens is now you can start going to teach other people or opening the door or now giving other people a network so you can bring other people in. I'm only saying this for nobody to feel sorry for themselves, but we have to be honest about how things work. And with that said, it may be necessary then, because if you are not going to just let people in the network, you know, that ain't like you by default, then the system may have to change to some extent to allow other people in so that they are not hitting a ceiling and hell back simply because they are not like you. These are some of the dynamics that we don't know what to do with because we're so offended or we're so upset just because someone thinks that, again, I may not be right. I may not understand your perspective. I'm not trying to be right right now. I'm trying to have a nuanced conversation and peel back some layers to get us thinking and maybe figuring out better solutions to some of these problems. Now, here's the other side of the diversity thing. I do think it's challenging. If you start pushing things in creating an environment where now you do the reverse. And this is where as human beings, we want to avenge ourselves. We don't typically, we typically want revenge in our flesh, right? We don't want to just make something right. We don't just want equality or fairness necessarily. We want to do to you what you did to us. That's how people are. I'm not saying I literally want to do that. I'm saying human beings are that way. So we get in these situations and we got to be careful or we will start creating a situation where now, okay, now you, you create the opposite and you start blocking them out. These are things we need to seek the Lord on brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm specifically, this is a Christian perspective because I'm outlining, I'm outlining some of these tough conversations again. And I know I'm not scratching the surface. You probably watching this fuming and burning like, but he didn't say this and he didn't say don't worry about it. I'm not trying to be right. I'm not trying to say everything that needs to be said in the world about these topics that are very nuanced. What I'm really trying to get you to do is we need to come together and point to Christ for the solution. In order to have a solution to this stuff, as believers in unity, we got to make ourselves slightly uncomfortable. Now, I commend you for listening to this so far because that tells me that at some point I might have made you cringe. At some point you might have disagreed with me or thought I went a little too far or thought that I sounded a little too black or why are you saying this for black people? Why are you saying that for white people? But the thing is, you don't realize is that none of that matters to me more than the fact that Jesus Christ is our savior. 
And if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, I need to be able to sit down and listen to you and listen to your life experiences and even understand why do you disagree with me? Remember, for me, trustworthiness is more valuable than agreeableness. So if you disagree with me and I trust that it's not coming from a place of, um, you know, anger or, you know, trying to troll or trying to be negative, like I can hear you out. Don't mean I'm agree with you. If you might change my mind, we may have to have some discussion. But I believe that as believers, we need to fight against this tension that the world is creating and create an environment in God's church where you could be white, you can be black, you could be Democrat, you could be Republican, you could be independent. And maybe I disagree with some of your stances on something, but I shouldn't hate you or cast you out simply because I disagree with you especially if you're a brother or sister in Christ. Because if you say, and I'm say, that means we going to heaven together. <laughs> I don't think heaven gonna have no Democrat section, no independent section, no Republican, no pro this or anti that section. I think it's gonna be about giving your life to Christ. And I'll tell you what, what is kind of hurtful to me is that as Christians, we are identifying more with our worldly ethnicity than our heavenly ethnicity. I look in the Bible and so much of it is about being born again. You know, he's the, he's our father. Like he came to save. This is about family. Christianity is about family. Amen. We got to look at Christ. It is important, Jen. And so look, man, I know I might not have said everything you wanted to hear today. And there'll probably be things that I that I want to address more on this show. Again, I'm not trying to be right, man. I don't think I'm just the most right person in the world, but I'm trying to figure out how do we start engaging these conversations as believers? And if I never am able just to share with you, it's like, yo, this is my experience growing up as a young black dude, making my way and finding my way in the world. These are some of the challenges. These are some of the thoughts. These are some of the experiences. These are some of the cultural things that, I, that, that I'm up against. And again, some of that is, is internal pressure. Black people always want to, like, we want to kick somebody out the race in a minute. Like, you ain't black if, you ain't black if. That whole idea is savage to me. It's savage. You know, there was, there was something that I believe Frederick Douglass said in his autobiography that um, it was either him at Booker T, but I think this was said in Frederick Douglass. And he talked about what slavery looked like in the beginning versus towards the end. And he was just talking about how <laughs> we went from a darker tone to a caramel tone. When you look out at the slaves, he was saying that for a specific reason because the um, masters had raped so many of the slaved women that now the children were starting to be born uh, of mixed race and ethnicity. And Frederick Douglass himself was a half white man. These are things we don't ever talk about or deal with. Like even the idea of like when somebody's mixed with black, we just call them black. <laughs> That'd be funny to me. Like that man white too. Like y'all might hate him. He one of y'all too. A lot of these people are of mixed um, ethnicity Frederick Douglass didn't know exactly who his daddy was. They He had an idea um, that it was this one particular slave master, but he wasn't sure. 
So think about that. Just think about like this, this created so many things, so many ripple effects on both ends that I think like part of it is like, we don't deal with this stuff because we would rather argue about who's right or who's wrong. No, it just, it happened. Um, it happened. You know, so you have some people who's like, give them all reparations. Like, okay, I don't think that's a great idea. Oh, some, some oh, black people, people will be mad at me right now. Like, oh, dog, you messing up the bag. Like, whatever. Like, bro, you couldn't handle a $2,400 stimulus check without financial literacy. What you going to do with millions of dollars of reparations? Money doesn't solve money problems. Ain't nothing you could do to go back in history and, and, and reshape what slavery was. But what you can do is educate. What you can do is create opportunities. And that's why I am pro opportunities for people. Because if people have been blocked out of opportunities and you and you create opportunities, like not give. See, and this is a this is another um you know misconception to me about some of the opportunities. It's like, no, you don't just get something. Like, I'm black in corporate America. I didn't get promoted this year. There's a lot of people got promoted. You don't just get promoted just because you're black. That ain't how it work either. There's, there's, I mean, in reality, it ain't as many black people being promoted as people think anyway. Like that, that has not translated at that high of a level. There's been some improvement. But look, bro. We all have to deal with the different nuances of all this stuff. And I just think there's a better opportunity for us to figure out how to do that together than to do it while fighting each other, while claiming that we Christians. Like, we should be welcome at each other's church. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just, these are difficult conversations, man. And... I think a lot of people don't want to tell the truth on either side because the truth doesn't fit your politic political side 100%. It, it doesn't sound good to say publicly because people don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, what do we do now? We have the conversation. Each person figure out, like, we brainstorm. How can we do better? How can, how can you do better? How can I do better in my life? What can I do better? I've tried to better myself. I've tried to, you know, again, when you grow up in a city that's 88% white, I mean, black, I grew up, man, I ain't, I didn't grow up around white people, bro. It was two, about two white people that I grew up with, one in middle school, one in, or two in high school, like, and they were culturally black. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, culturally, they grew up on the same streets we grew up. They, they acted culturally black. So, you know, I, for me coming into corporate America, it was a challenge to like try to open up and try. I still struggle in some ways. I'm just being a real with y'all. Like I still struggle some ways connecting with people who are from different places culturally. And like, it's like, maybe it's not as easy for me to just naturally communicate with them or understand or whatever. So there's a lot of dynamics, but I don't need no pity. I'm here to figure it out. We gonna, are we gonna go up that my whole thing is figure it out and grow. Like there is greater in you, regardless of what you are, who you are, like what circumstances you were born with, like you can grow. And that's why I don't want us, I'll finish up in saying this, the reason I don't want us to continue to perpetuate that just because we're from these tough situations that, hey, we got to always be from the hood or if we don't act like this, we ain't black or we like, like no, because we making other people think that. And so they looking at us like 
like they watching a, a BET movie. It's like, bro, I'm not that character. You know what I'm saying? Just like I don't think every white dude is, is Tony Stark. Like, bro, trust me. Like, <laughs> I am not the villain. You know what I'm saying? And so I just think we all on every side. Hopefully there was enough blame to go around because everybody gets so triggered. You know what I'm saying? If you hold anybody accountable. But I think there's accountability for whites, blacks, others, like people in leadership. If you a leader, there's accountability for you to figure out what is the right way um, to do these things, especially as a believer. You feel what I'm saying? What you say, Jen? I think the truth sometimes takes some examining our own hearts and that can be tough. And I agree. And that's why I opened up with talking about agreeable versus trustworthy. We would rather listen to somebody we agree with because it doesn't cause us to have to examine ourselves. But when we listen to someone we disagree with, we have to examine and think through. And I'm going to go back real quick to the Jordan Peterson um, point on, on the podcast I was listening to. It wasn't that the things they were saying, some of them weren't true. I'll tell you specifically the problem I had with, with, with their, their show. They were only talking about black people through the lens of data. And this is a this is a mistake that I think sometimes Republicans can make because data is good. Data can lead you to facts. Right. But what happens is if I'm only data to you and I'm and there is no relationship, then there's a coldness to that. Right. So so I'm gonna give you this example. Imagine, you know, let's take a third world country, any third world country. Right. Imagine I've never been there, the Philippines. I've never been there. Um, and I don't know what it's like to be in the Philippines. Um, it, but I look up data online about the Philippines and how certain people became in a third world country. And so it's like, then I start talking about them as if they're not people, they're only data. That's challenging to me. We, we have to talk about people through the lens of people which might mean that you need to go get some experiences, not with elite black people. Cause a lot of times what happens is this, you'll have successful people that's like, oh, hey, you know, I've had, I've literally had people tell me this, so I'm not making this up. Like, hey, uh, my kid's best friend is black. Damien was at our house yesterday. So, you know, and, and specifically saying this in the context of a conversation about race that they sparked to convince me that they're not racist because a black little boy there is friends with their son. Sir, ma'am, like that means nothing to me. Um, again, you need different experiences with people who are not from where you're from or at the same social class or whatever, because we need to view people as people. We need to view homeless people as people. Homeless people are not just a statistic that you just talk about. Go and volunteer at a homeless shelter like a lot of people do. Go and volunteer with some type of organization where you can get in the midst of these people so that they are not just data to you anymore. So my biggest problem with the Jordan Peterson conversation was it was, you know, two white people having all these conversations about everything that's wrong with black people. And again, some of the things were true, but I'm just like, yo, I could tell y'all ain't spent five minutes around no black person from the hood or y'all ain't spent five minutes in the environment of the data that you're talking about. And I just think when you spend time with people and know them as people, so I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a straight up straight up example, right? You can look up data and say that hey, uh, fifty percent of 
black people without a father, uh, the men grow up or 30 percent of black men without a father grow up and go to prison. Right. Uh, without their father in the household. So if you if you keep perpetuating that data, then every time you see a black man without a father, you see him as the data. But here's the difference. Let's say, you know, you got to you you become friends with a black person that grew up without their father and they invite and you go to a barbecue with them. And then you experience the 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 case study in real life and you experience like, oh, the food was good. We danced, we laughed. Oh, but he didn't. Oh, but he didn't have his daddy. Oh, but so I can't look at every person that don't have a daddy as whatever, whatever. Like, like we 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 gotta like stop making the stereotypes reality without experience. And I think that goes for black people too. You can't view white people. I've heard this too. I've heard black people say this. All white people racist. All white people got some racism in them. Like there are there are a lot of people that believe that. But it's like, bro, like, you are you cool with any white people? Have you put yourself in a position to get around them in their environment and see that maybe some of what we all call races, races is just cultural differences? This is the importance of understanding culture. How you grew up has an impact on you. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know another way to put it. Abel, what up, fam? How you doing, man? Thanks for y'all got you got Abel watching the watching the podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying this, Abel. You know what I'm saying? But I, I think, look, we 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 perpetuate these things because we haven't put ourselves in a position to get cool with some white people and get them a chance not to be racist or don't take every little thing as racist. There are some things that are just cultural differences. Like if you grew up, uh, let, let's just think on the most on the most ba- in the most basic way as possible. If you grew up rich, right, and every day of your life, you know, by, by 16, you had a sweet 16 with 200 people there and your, your parents bought you a new car and all that. Like, that's the only life you know. You might go to the hood if you was born in wealth and be like, oh, my God, what's going on? These people, who are they? That's black, white, or anything. You think Beyonce, little daughter, let me not. Let me, God forgive me. I'm not going to make it about no kids. I don't, I don't like doing that. You know, I had to catch myself. But just think of these celebrities and their kids. They kids not going to the public school with your kids, bro. That's not going. They used to going to school with security. Or, so that create that cultural growing up a certain way creates certain type of people sometimes. And so sometimes we just got to understand you calling somebody racist and you just don't understand them or they're ignorant about things about you. And, and they they never knew like some of these dynamics. I talk to people in Michigan all the time that don't know that Detroit is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And they live here. I'm talking white, black, or whatever. It's white and black people that every time I throw that statistic out of like Detroit at least was 88% uh, black. I think that's changing if you count downtown now probably because downtown has been gentrified. So it's a lot more you know, uh, white people in downtown now than it was, you know, seven or eight years ago. Um, so th- those numbers could be skewing somewhat if you look at downtown, but in the city, it's, it's black. And so that means when you have segregation, all right, let me say this and I'm gonna be done. Why do y'all, oh, I gotta say this. Segregation. Why do we think segregation was a bad thing in the first place? 
right? Like we went through this whole desegregation period where black people can go to this school or have this job or drink out of this water fountain. That stuff happened too. We got to look at all that because this stuff has an impact on people's mind and how they think. It, it would be no different if you took a kid right now. If you had two kids, let's do it like this. Case study. Don't do this for real. Please don't do this for real. This is an example to prove a point. If you had two children, both same mom, same dad, and you took one of them and told them they can drink the clean water, they can uh, you know, have snacks, for, they can go to school, they can read and write, and took your other kids, same color, no racial or ethnic difference, and told them you got to drink dirty water, uh, you can't go to school, you have to do labor, um, you're going to beat that child. Do you think, is there any part of you that thinks those two children are going to grow up and, and, and likely be the same? And race has nothing to do with it. Just culturally how you raise them. Most of us know. Now imagine you do that. And when that child grows up and have a baby, you, you do this child over here. They get the, for generation after generation, they get the harsh treatment. The child over here, for generation after generation, they get great treatment. At some point, we're going to come to a crescendo where everything hit the fan and we see and live out the results of both sides. I believe, as crazy as this sounds to some people, I believe that's where we are now. I believe we are mostly living out the result on every side of all of the mess, all of the stuff from all the past 100, 200 years, whatever it may be. And I think the world is taking advantage of it because they're seeing an opportunity to push their agenda, to push their politics. They're seeing an opportunity to take control of the narrative, the philosophical um, you know, kind of makeup of the country. And the believers are simply falling in line because we're afraid to discuss the reality. We're afraid to be different. We're afraid to lead, lead the narrative, lead the conversation. Don't sit back and allow yourself to hate someone just because they're a different color of you. Like that's so wild. Cause I mean, white people, what is white anyway? When you think about it, it's like people be from Ireland, they Italian. We're just calling them the color of their skin. What is black? Like, there's some people from the Caribbean, from African descent, um, from Hispanic, uh, Mexican, Puerto Rico, all this stuff. It's like, bro, we all, like, internally, we are all mixed up a whole different kind of way. It's like if you make some corn cornbread and throw a little jalapeno in it, and I make a cornbread and throw some onion in it, it's like that might, the corn and the bread might look the same. It's going to taste a little different. That's good. We're unique. So even when we try to box each other in, it's like, oh, you black, you got to think like this. Oh, you white, you got to think like this. Y'all got to hate each other. Ah. It's like, bro, hold on. I got, you know what I'm saying? Some little jalapeno over here. I don't know. I got some Hispanic in my background. Oh, you know, you over here. It's like, okay, cool. I got some Irish in my Like, we are different, y'all. And that's a good thing. Stop trying to box, uh, trying to uh, box people in. You feel what I'm saying? What you say, Jen? Abel says using washcloths is a poor person thing. Is that <laughs> you know what, Abel? I don't even know how to take. I don't even know what that means, bro. Uh, we gonna have to get a Abel. You know what, Abel? We gonna have to get you. We gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do a separate webinar with you for that question. Now I I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what the question means. Um, 
I maybe it is, and I just don't know. But look, the, the reality of it is, is like we all have different experiences. And, and the biggest thing to me about white, white and black people, um, and, and again, there's other races too, so not to leave nobody out. Um, but we all have these different different perspectives based on how we grew up. And the real challenge is we don't know what to do about them. We don't know like how we feel about them. And, and the, the reason I the reason that I'm troubled by the world is because the world is just about narratives now. We're not about the truth. So um, things like gun violence, it becomes a narrative. Meaning somebody could be a rapper that raps about guns all day long, but then make a post and say, hey, we must end gun violence in America. It's like, wow, that's very amazing to me. That is like amazing that you could even say that. But it's perplexing some of the things that people say and do now just for the sake of saying the right thing and being agreeable. And so that's the world we live in here. But I dare to be different, fam. Um, look, man, I hope this conversation has blessed somebody. Um, I don't think I know it all. I don't think that everything I said is just 100% fact because I said it. A lot of this is opinion and perspective and nuance and trying to at least um, uh, share share some things. You know what I'm saying? Abel agrees. What is it, What does he agree with? Abel, I believe, is Jen's son. Uh, shout out to you, Jen, for having your son watching and listening to the podcast. And Abel, I appreciate you checking it out. And these are, you know, hopefully helpful conversations more so to get people thinking. Again, I'm not trying to be right. You know what I'm saying? I'm really not like because I don't think I'm just right. I think there's stuff I have to learn, too. And I'm trying to learn as well. But but I do know. I know how I feel about my experiences in my in my life and, and some of the things that I've seen. And I try to bring those things to the show. And sometimes it's, it's challenging because people are so triggered and everybody's so sensitive that it's like, man, you can't even share this kind of stuff because the moment somebody disagree with you, I probably got five. Uh, I probably lost five subscribers making this podcast, you know, because it doesn't fit perfectly with, um, with, with how some people feel. So, so I get it. We live in such a triggered and sensitive society, but I think whenever you live that trigger, you position yourself for people to only tell you what they think you want to hear, which means you're not getting the truth. You're just getting agreeable people. Um, and you can't really trust them. So it's like, I would rather you tell me when you disagree or tell me when you see something different and we talk through it, as long as it's respectful on both sides, um, we can talk through it and, and work through it. But um, this this idea that that you have to agree with me is just weird. All right, so Abel agree, agrees with the amount of effort people put in just to say things that are agreeable. Okay, yep. And so it's a real thing. Like, so it's like you you can't you have to now be careful to say anything that you think that might be disagreeable because somebody might take it as your um, something else. And again, that's exactly right, because you're not being honest. So look, man, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of things. I, I was talking about segregation and, you know, the idea of segregation, like there's a reason that we desegregated because. I don't think we should be in bubbles um, identified based on the color of our skin. And I think the more that we continue to do that in 2023 on every side, um, you know, the worse off, the worse off we are as a society. And look, I've lived in neighbor, I've lived in neighborhoods where, you know, 
neighbors act like they ain't see me, bro. Like, I ain't exist. I'm talking about you standing right here. I'm not right here. And look, my grass is cut. My stuff, I don't live there no more. You know what I'm saying? My grass is cut. My house look good. We out here. We chilling. And again, you don't know what stereotypes people are dealing with, or you don't know if they just mean people. Like, sometimes if I'm being real, you just don't know. You don't know what people's angles are. Um, and that's tough, too, for all of us to know, like, is this person being mean to me because they mean or is because because I'm black and they don't like black? Like there's a lot of thoughts that go through everybody's head with this stuff. And um, it's not easy, man. But I just think we got to be mature enough to start talking about it and peeling back the layers. And just think a conversation like this today, this shouldn't be controversial. I didn't say anything to, to offend anyone. I ain't, I didn't say anything out of pocket, but we're so sensitive. We could spend anything um, to be negative in nature when it's like truly the goal is to bring us together. And the only way to really do that is to start looking at why we really are apart and why we really are separate. And some of the things that have happened in our lives and throughout history to kind of drive a wedge be between us. But I will have you um, know that even when I read these books about slavery, I'm going to tell you one of the most amazing things. And this is why we should read these type of books. One of the most amazing things that stood out for me when reading uh, both Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington's book. And this is why I advise even white man, my black and white, read these books, understand the history. You'll also see some other things. What stood out to me was that there was a lot of white people helping them. There was a lot of white people helping these black people, these slaves escape, helping these sl slaves learn how to read. There was a lot of white people that had good intentions. So even in the midst of the darkest of times, there were whites and blacks coming together to build a school. Booker T. Washington built a school with the help of white people, with the money from white people. So kudos to those white people. Imagine being a white person living during the times of slavery and being willing to support black people. Man, that's crazy. So imagine if I'm being, if I'm treating a black people, a, a white person bad today just simply because they white. Uh, are you white? Your ancestors, you you got to uh, apologize because of your ancestors. What if your ancestor was the one that, that bought the school, fam? This this is why stuff be weird. I done seen stuff on the internet with like white people like apologizing to black people. Man, I'd be like, dog, if you don't get away from me, if you do not get away from me, apologizing to me ain't how we going to solve the problem. Me and you could come together to figure out how to help some kids over here or help create some opportunities over there or I can help over here like we can help each other progress and move forward but all this living in the past like man we need to tell inspiring stories we need to understand history so that we can understand how to build towards the future but history will conflict with a lot of the things being said right now I'm telling you Booker T Washington some of his best friends was white some of the people he trusted the most was white I'm just telling I'm just telling you the real we got we to gotta take it all, y'all. See, what we like to do, is we like to pick bits and pieces of these stories and these experiences to, to curate our narrative that we want to push um, to either love or hate one group. And it's like, no, bro, there's, listen, I'm telling you right now, regardless of what side of the fence you on with this stuff, if you the super pro-black person and you think you, people be thinking they got it all figured out, go read these books. You're going to find something to make you challenge that. If you're the if you're a, a white person that just think all oh, black people is this way, whatever, uh, black people ain't smart, whatever. Okay, buddy, you're gonna see some of these people in history, slaves turned into some of the smartest and most brilliant minds in the world. That's why I tell people, don't tell me what I'm not, bro. Anybody who tell me what I can't do, I'm not trying to hear you.
I'm not trying to hear it. Don't tell me what I'm not. Don't tell me what I can't do. I could do anything I put my mind to. I'm just as good as anyone else. I can learn anything anyone else can learn. Like, I do not buy this idea that I am less than just because I'm different. And I'm telling y'all, the reason I say that so emphatically is because part of the problem. Ooh, this I got to say this. Excuse me. Let me sip my water. I sip my water. My wawa. Um, I don't know why I just said that, by the way. Wawa? <laughs> Who says that? Are you a baby? Are you a freaking baby, Jermaine? All right. So let's think something through. I love case studies and examples, right? So here's one of the dynamics that people struggle with. A lot of successful black people want to tell the story of the struggle. Now, the story of the struggle is important to me because it is real. It's a real experience that people need to understand. And there are still people who need help and opportunities created and resources brought to them. So I do think understanding the story of the struggle is important. But here's where it gets tricky. Sometimes people tell that story so much that I've seen white people buy into it. And in buying into this story that black people have had it so hard and they're less than, that actually causes the white people to look at the black person as less than. So now they all feel sorry for you and they don't think you could do anything yourself. And they think everyone needs a hand and training wheels and an opportunity because you did, did such a good job at painting one side of the picture and didn't tell the other side of the story. You don't tell the Booker T. Washington and the Frederick Douglass success stories of how they made it out and endured. And when they were given opportunities or when they took opportunities, what they created from there and how they partnered with white people to grow and those type of things and became advisors of presidents. And those same white people look to them for advice and guidance. Like those are some of the stories we have to tell so that we understand both sides of it. Yes, people are in the hood or they're challenged and they need resources and help, but no, they are not less than. Some people just need an opportunity to learn or to grow. And some people in the hood and they just smart already. Like, like, let's tell that too. We don't know why everybody's in the situation they're in. So we can't just look at someone and think they're all the same or that we got them figured out. And I'm not in the business of making people feel sorry for me because when people feel sorry for you, they look at you as less than, and I am not in the business of allowing anybody to look at me as less than. So I don't like to tell those stories in a way that portrays me as like some, you know, oh, hopeless loser that just waiting on someone to just, nah, bro, I'm smart. Been smart. Been smart. A single man, what up? Some folks just need to push from their father or a father figure. That's facts. We talked about that a little earlier. And, and this is where like, all right, so I'm, I'm working on something. I'm working on this series called The Millionaire Mindset. I'll give y'all just a sneak peek in, into something that I'm that I'm going to cover there. And um, over the next few weeks, I'm hoping to start rolling out at least it'll, it'll probably at least be a three part series, a podcast um, broken into three parts, but all around the millionaire mindset. And how to how to change the way you think about money. Excuse me. And a part of that, I'll, I'll give you all a sneak peek of this. I, I have a section of it 
and, and this is more like this is like life changing like it's it's a life changing um you know presentation i believe because i'm really giving like a lot of the 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 detail behind how how i personally came from nothing to at least something at least a little something you know i i'm not nowhere i'm not nothing crazy but so many times we look at we want to how do you become a millionaire, a multimillionaire, a hundred millionaire? How do you become a, a, a famous rapper? And sometimes we don't realize like, yo, sometimes it's about how do you be, how do you get out of survival mode and become a, you know, a, a, a well-being citizen that's able to take care of yourself and, and not live check to check and, and have, you know, take care of your family. Like, like, how do you go from, how do you have financial literacy, those things? So we're dealing with that. One of the things that 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 we talk about in there in there is charity. Charity is something that I believe people have completely uh, mixed up. And what do I mean by that? All right, what charity is and what charity isn't. Charity isn't intended to create wealth, but it is intended to create opportunity. And what I mean by that is, you know, I remember growing up. There were, let's say if it was one Christmas where, you know, a good fella box was one of the one of the things that I remember getting before. So let's say it was one Christmas and, you know, people donated toys and whatever da -da, to the good fellas organization. And, and we got a good fella box and that added to our Christmas. And that was something we needed or wanted that Christmas. Great. Or, or, or let, let me make it let, let me make it more plain. Let's say you, you take a homeless person that. Um. Uh, all right. Now I want to go down there because because now I'm get I don't want to give away pieces of this whole idea. The point I'm making is that charity is something that's needed. Right. So there may be a kid that needs a computer for school this year that you should have charitable organizations that are really helping the community. But what we should not be doing is conditioning that kid to think that they should need the charity all the time. Meaning you don't want to raise the kid in a way where the charity is the expectation for them. You want them to take the charity and say, now you have the computer. Now go and do something with it. You don't want to need a computer every year from this organization. Don't just come back because it's free. Actually come back later and donate to it. I've, I've been blessed by the grace of God to do that. There are charities that I remember that, that, did things for me and I got something from when I was a kid. And, and as I've gotten older, then I've been able to give to those charities. I've also been blessed to be able to make certain connections with uh, other charities, um, some locally in Detroit and, and leverage some of my corporate relationships to, okay, here's a donation to that charity. And I remember one year we raised a few thousand dollars at a corporate event and I was asked to find a charity and I found a, a local Detroit charity ran by two black women um, that was giving shoes to kids. And I remember I was to take them to check. It was such a blessing to me to, I met, I went, it was downtown at a school to drop the check off and to take them. That check was one of the best feelings I ever had simply because I know the feeling of getting something from the charity, but the charity is to create an opportunity, not to create an enabling habit of just living a lifestyle of feeding off charity. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about. And so those are some of the nuances and things that I like to deal with. Look, man, if you haven't learned anything else from this episode, hopefully you understand that like I like to deal in the nuance. I don't like to deal with all this, oh, black or white or, 
let's try to act like we know everything and I'm right, you wrong, all this. Like, I like to peel back the layers and really start thinking through some of these things in an in-depth way. Because if I'm being honest, some of this stuff seemed weird and fake to me when people just saying the right thing. I'm like, bro, you don't really believe that, dog. You don't really believe that, do you? I was out. Where was I at? Was this in ATL or Texas? I don't know where I was at. I, I did a lot of traveling recently. I was somewhere, man, and it was a, a group at the hotel that they was identifying as cats. Yeah. Yeah. There's a group of people identifying as cats. And they was dressed up like cats. They was walking down the regular streets. I think that was downtown Atlanta, maybe. They identify as cats. Now I'm looking. I know I'm quiet right now, but I can't talk. What, what, I'm, what I'm telling you, yeah, Jen, they, they identified as cats. What, what I'm telling you is there's some stuff that I'm seeing in the world today. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, so we ain't talking because we scared and everybody's sensitive and we don't want to offend nobody. So we can't even say crazy stuff is crazy no more. You just got to come on, bro. I don't think I don't think everybody believe all the stuff that they talking about. I think that some people just, you know, look, um, the digital world has changed the way that we communicate. It's changed freedom of speech. Um, there's so much in America that has changed about um, what you can and can't say, how you can and can't feel. I just, I just know for me, man, I'm not trying to prove who I am to somebody. Like it's to the point now, like you got, I remember a, a presidential candidate said a couple years ago, if you don't vote for them, you're not black. And I'm like, man, y'all just rocking with that, huh? Like y'all just, <laughs> that's cool. Somebody could tell me I'm not black. Like a white person could tell me I'm not, but I got to prove my blackness through my vote. I think that's where we are as a society. I think that's where um, they're trying to push a lot of people is push you that this is the black ideology. This is black culture. This is how the culture feels. So they give you the answer to the test and then tell you choose the answer we chose for you. This is how black people feel. All right, feel this way. And if you don't feel this way, like, no, you got to feel this way to prove to me you black. If you don't feel this way, you're not black. Come on, bruh. What? Imagine, come on, white people, come on, follow. Imagine somebody telling you, you're not white if you don't do this. Come on, I'm sure I'm sure y'all done heard that in y'all culture to some extent too. Like, come on, bro, like, what? You gonna tell me, like, man, please. Listen, this was a, I had a good time. And hopefully um, you enjoyed it as well. Share this show um, to, please do subscribe on YouTube at Inspire Guys People. Share the show with somebody, people. You know what I'm saying? Tell somebody to listen to this. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you disagree with some aspects of it. Again, I might listen back and disagree with some myself. It wasn't about being right. I was trying to have a, um, a honest conversation to hopefully um, unite versus divide. And that's really the goal is hopefully you understand that we can disagree and still be brothers and sisters and still um, be neighbors and still be coworkers or whatever. Like, But what was, was the most concerning to me is that there's this idea in the world now that if you don't agree with everybody, you can't even talk. 
Like you can't even say what you feel if you don't agree. That's scary to me. That's or or you're being or you're misclassified as something that like, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's nuance. What I'm saying is that uh, some things are not as black and white to think through, or I don't know how I feel about that. So look, God bless y'all. Love y'all. Hopefully y'all enjoy this show. Got some amazing things coming, man. I'm, I'm still building. I'm super inspired right now um, and, and building these uh, and building during these times because I think God has really given me um, some creative um, thoughts and, and ways to approach things. And I really want to share, man. I really want to share these experiences um, with people. And sometimes it's hard to help people because people are so triggered. You feel me? Chris Jones, what up, bro? Super scary times, my brother. Hopefully everything doing going well your way, man. But look, man, share the show with somebody. If you're coming in late, check it out from the beginning. Check us out on YouTube because I chop these shows up and share them in, in short clips for you to digest. Also, the Inspire Guys People to Podcast Facebook page is growing. You know what I'm saying? We just crossed over a thousand followers on that, um, which we've been, just been pushing over the last two months or so. So I'm feeling good about the growth of the show. More people coming in, listening. But also, I'm grateful for you. This is about community. Um, this is a place for Christians to believe, to think, to feel free to be who you are as a believer and not have to suppress your faith in Christ as an important part of your life. As you think through your politics, as you think through business, as you think through faith, your church, whatever it may be. Uh, this is that place for Christian creatives, entrepreneurs and believers, business people to really try to figure that out and talk it through. And it ain't just about me being right. It's about you sharing your perspective. So I welcome your comments. I welcome your emails. Um, hit us up on uh, Instagram at Inspire Guys. People, look, share your feelings and thoughts as you listen back to this show openly. Share it with some friends. Even if you disagree, shoot me an inbox. Tell me, share with me, like, how you thinking through something. We don't have to argue, man. This is about conversation with the ultimate goal of growing the body of Christ so that we don't let the ideology of the world seeps so far into the church that it separates us or um, just weakens us, right? Because I'm going to be real. I see a lot of Christian leaders, especially like gospel artists and stuff. And I'm like, man, like gospel artists and stay in the news for everything but the gospel. No shade, no offense. But I'm like, bro, like do y'all, like y'all ain't even talking about God. I'm seeing gospel artists and I don't even want to get into it. But every time they pop up on my screen, it don't got nothing to do with God. I'm like, y'all just, what y'all doing, fam? Y'all trying to be messy, trying to fit in with the world, trying to be liked by the world, and nobody ain't gonna follow that. The world is not. The world is not stupid. The world is smart too. They don't want to follow nobody that's that's corny. Like that's corny to say. It's corny to say you're a believer and not act like it. Do you feel me, Jen? Like it's really corny to say I'm a believer and then don't act like it. Like, bro, what is y'all doing? And so, you know, man, look, these are the things in the world we living in. Um, anytime a lot of these gospel artists speak about tough issues, they just say the same thing the world say. I'm like, bro, that's you can't you can't tell me if I ask 10 different people, hey, how do you feel about civil rights? You're not going to get 10 of the same answer. You lie. I should have named this episode. You lie. <laughs> Prove to me you black. Agree with me. Come on, bro. No, I see it a little different, fam. You know what I'm saying? Like. That's cool. You see it differently. Maybe I changed my mind, too. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, maybe we have a conversation. Maybe you challenge something. And maybe I'm like, yo, if I have integrity and character and I'm open to hearing what you're saying, maybe maybe I look at something differently. 
But if you just mad and triggered and cut me off because you disagree or I grew up different, like I said, we ain't going to get nowhere. I still listen to I Rock with Jordan Peterson. I used his podcast as an example because I didn't I didn't necessarily like the way they did the one show, but he got a bunch of dope shows. I like Jordan Peterson a lot. You know what I'm saying? Can only serve one God, fam. That is for sure. Look, love y'all. God bless y'all, man. Um, this show was in, intended to be a little longer than most um, because I had a lot to say and I didn't want to rush it, but I'm excited um, for <laughs> Next of Black. You know what, Jen? I'm about to get out of here before you offend me. I'm joking. Look, God bless y'all. love y'all, man. Share the show. Thank y'all so much for listening, commenting, and um, just engaging this conversation. Please share your thoughts as well, man. And uh, have an amazing, amazing, 